We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 109 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as I talk some Gamecocks recruiting. Jake Bentley in the Manning Passing Academy. South Carolina picking up yet another three-star defensive back commitment. Whit Merrifield makes the MLB All-Star Game and much, much more. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks tight end Wesley Saunders as I discuss his path to South Carolina playing for Steve Spurrier, the Whitney Hotel situation, him being dismissed from the team, playing in the NFL for the Steelers and Colts, and much, much more. Before we get into all of that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend for you guys. They have tickets to literally anything and everything you can think of, whether it be sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, you name it. Anything and everything you're going to need tickets to this summer, they've got it for you guys. They have a great ticket rating system where they actually rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal. If you're getting a steal, you know if you're paying a little bit too much. It's really that simple. You know exactly what you're going to get before you click the buy button, which is such a relief for us when we're buying tickets to things. We want to know what type of deal we're getting. So again, go download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. We've actually got a promo code there you can use. It spurs up. Uh, You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. So again, no matter what you're getting tickets to, they're going to have the tickets there for you on SeatGeek, whether you're getting your Gamecocks football tickets early. I know we're starting to get closer and closer to kickoff. People are going to need their tickets to those first couple games. Be sure to use our promo code. Definitely use our promo code when you're buying Gamecocks tickets. So if you haven't done so, download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. All right, I'm Chris Phillips. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Got a packed show for you guys. Some housekeeping items I want to get to before I dive deep into the show. First off, I want to say thank you to the South Carolina fans, to the fans of the Spurs Up show who made June a record month for the Spurs Up show. Record month of page views um, in the month of June for the SpursUpShow.com. If you listen to this and didn't know that we had a website, I'm mad at you. But uh, no, a record month for the SpursUpShow.com as far as page views is concerned. Really, really exciting stuff when you think of the fact that it was the month of June. We are in the off season, and uh, you know it's really exciting to see. Very excited to what what that leads to as we get closer and closer to the season. But really, do appreciate you guys taking the time to consume my content, taking the time to consume the content on the SpursUpShow.com. It really doesn't go unnoticed, and 
really, really means a lot. Also, the SpursUpShow.com, the store there. If you go to the SpursUpShow.com, click on store. Um, got some new items in the store as well as tanks, mugs, long sleeve shirts, hoodies, you name it. But really, the tank tops are what the hot thing is right now with it obviously being summer. I know as I was a little bit late on the tank top game. I do apologize to you guys. I did take care of some things in regards to the store. But the tanks are live on the store. Got some awesome ones. Got the Viva Garcia on there. Got the Spurs Up tanks. They're all really, really cool. Look really awesome. Haven't done so. I will probably be doing some sales as we get closer to Labor Day or closer throughout the, throughout the summer, if you will. We'll be doing some sales. So be sure to go check out the store. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of fire in the store as well. Um, also, one other thing, if you're listening to this, you probably already saw it on social media. We are doing a Williams-Brice Stadium print giveaway. Was fortunate enough to be able to partner with my friend Dan Heideke. Um, you know, you probably know him better as 843 Ariel on Instagram. He takes a lot of aerial shots, a lot of drone shots, and uh, has a fantastic one at Williams-Brice Stadium. I thought it would be a fantastic idea to partner up with him, be able to give that away to one of our fans, uh, you know, one of our loyal listeners, one of our followers on social media. So if you haven't done so, to be eligible, go follow the Spurs Up Show, obviously, on social media and retweet the tweet with the williams Bryce Stadium print. I'm going to pick a random winner this Friday, July 5th at 7 p.m. Um, it's going to be just a random drawing, a random retweet drawing, if you will. You have to follow the Spurs Up Show and you have to retweet the tweet. If you're on Instagram, you've got to like the post, follow the Spurs Up Show and tag three friends. If you're on Facebook, similar to that, you have to share the post, tag three friends be following or liking the Spurs Up show, what have you. So really, really exciting stuff going on right now. Obviously, things that just keep us sort of occupied, keep me occupied as we count down the days to kickoff. Um, we're getting closer and closer, but right now, obviously, the beginning of July, um, a July 4th podcast, if you will. So happy July 4th to everyone uh, that is listening. I, I, you know, I really debated and kind of went back and forth on releasing an episode this week, but you know what? The show must go on no matter what the holiday uh, – what the holiday entails. But do want to also announce you guys will be going back to two shows starting next week. So I'm very, very excited about that. I know you guys will be as well going back to two shows per week starting next week. Um, very excited. Very excited to go back to two shows per week because, one, uh, I just like doing this and, you know, coming to you guys and doing the podcast. But, two, it means we're getting closer to kickoff. There's a lot more news coming out. A lot of content's happening right now. A lot of things are happening. It's, it's very exciting. Um, next week will be a week away from SEC Media Day, so you can imagine what next week's show or shows are going to revolve around. Um, and there might be a special surprise in there for you guys. Actually, I can guarantee there's a special surprise in there for you guys as well. I think I know for a fact you're going to be ecstatic, very excited about it. Um, but let's go. Let's get into some news and notes again. That's basically what it is. There's a lot of great listener questions that I really want to get to, but you know, certainly some news and notes to talk about. Jake Bentley, first off. Jake Bentley, first off, winning the Manning Passing Academy Air It Out Championship. And I got to say, I've seen a lot of Jake Bentley hype on the timeline this week on social media, and I've got to say I love it. Um, even for someone like me who's been so critical of Jake Bentley, you know, we all want Jake Bentley to have a huge year in 2019. There's no doubt, because if Jake Bentley has a huge year, it's going to give South Carolina the opportunity to possibly have a huge year as well, right? We need Jake to play well, and uh, – you know, to see Jake Bentley doing that, obviously, went in the, the Manning Passing Academy is very well known, obviously, for the Mannings. And for him to win the Air It Out Championship over guys like Trevor Lawrence and other college quarterbacks there, I know that, that caused a bit of a stir, which I'm going to get to later in the show. Actually ties into one of the listener questions that we have. But uh, Jake Bentley doing great things over the summer. Now, can he carry that over and translate, translate that over into his senior season? We'll have to wait and see. I, I think some of the – some of the things you saw on social media of guys saying, well, you know, now Jake Bentley's poised to have a big senior year. It's like, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, it is 
it is what it is. It's a summer passing camp. Let's not blow it into more than it is, but it's obviously great to see him. And we all know Jake Bentley has the talent. He has the arm talent. He has the moxie. He has the, you know, the, uh, the, the brain to play the position, I would say. He's got the decision-making. It's just all about putting it together on game day, in my opinion. So, Jake Bentley, again, wins the Air It Out Championship with the Manning Passing Academy. Obviously, good stuff and good exposure for the University of South Carolina. Um, getting into a little bit of recruiting right before I came on the show, 2023 star defensive back Joey Hunter commits to the Gamecocks. He picked South Carolina over Texas A&M was his final two. Six-foot-one, 180-pound defensive back out of Tyrone, Georgia, went to, uh, goes to Sandy Creek High School. Um, th- this is just – it's funny. You know, when he committed, I, I thought to myself – how many more three-star defensive backs are we going to see South Carolina take in this class? Because it just seems like the last three or four commitments have all been three-star defensive backs. It's kind of like I said last week to you guys, and I've said many, many times, I feel like I sound like a broken record, but you got to trust Will Muschamp and T-Rob at this point when, it's, when it comes to defensive backs. Um, I, I know they're very focused on, again, building out that defense, getting to an elite-level defense, and um, building out the secondary, obviously, building depth in the secondary, true depth and uh, – you know, Joey Hunter with good length, he's a guy that's a hard hitter. That's one good thing about him, which I think it, as much physicality as South Carolina can bring to their defense, the better, because the Gamecocks' best defenses in school history were extremely physical. I mean, it's hard to be a good defense if you're not physical. So bringing in guys that are truly physical at those positions, I think is a plus. But overall, we'll have to see how Joey Hunter pans out. But I think a good pickup for South Carolina. Um, sticking on the recruiting front, Desmond Tisdale, Desmond Tisdall, excuse me, Announces his top two. I know this is one that fans have been following a lot. Auburn and South Carolina, his top two, I don't think really a surprise, but he announced officially on social media with a graphic. Um, I've been saying for a while now that I thought Tisdall is going to Auburn, but uh, there, there, there has been so many, some momentum uh, in the way of South Carolina. So it, I think it's a 50-50 coin flip at this point. Again, I've been saying he's going to Auburn, but overall – um, we'll have to see. It would obviously be a huge pickup. I mean, South Carolina needs all the big-time defense – or, excuse me, linebackers it can get. Desmond Tisdall certainly fits that bill as a four-star linebacker, and I, I think the Gamecocks um, really need to get him. They, they need to improve that position badly on the defense just as much as they do any other position, I think, on the entire football team. Um, also, Whit Merrifield makes the MLB All-Star game. Obviously, great for Whit. Uh, the All-Star game coming next Tuesday, I believe it is, with the home run derby being Monday. I think the All-Star game is Tuesday. First all-star game of his career, um, really, really good stuff. Great to see for Witt, and overall, I, I'm very excited as a Gamecock fan, someone who loves Gamecock baseball, to see the success that Whit, not just Whit Merrifield, but definitely Merrifield with getting the uh, the all-star game nod, see the success he's having. It, it, it's awesome to watch, honestly. He is, I, I you know, I, I always thought Whit Merrifield was a really, really good player, but I would have never envisioned he would be the kind of player he is today for the Royals, just to be completely honest with you. Um, he has definitely exceeded all expectations I had of, I had of him. Uh, at the MLB level. Um, something kind of fun here. Debo Samuel, his Madden rating was released this week. Um, he's a 71 overall, which is kind of funny because, you know, the way Madden rates rookies, they're obviously not going to put them very high because you are a rookie in the NFL. You shouldn't be, you know, if you're a 90 in college, you're a 70 in, in the NFL, right? Which I kind of think is where Debo Samuel falls. He's a 71 overall. Um, 68 awareness, 91 speed, 90 acceleration, 87 agility, and 70 strength. I definitely think overall they could have gotten the acceleration a little bit higher because Debo's a guy when he gets the ball, I, I think he's gone. Um, but, yeah, just kind of a funny thing. I know fans had a lot of reaction to that. and It was some funny stuff. We had some good conversation about that. But Debo Samuel's Madden rating, Madden 20, not sure when that comes out, but we'll have to, uh, have to get on that, play with Debo Samuel, no doubt. 
Um, all right, let's get into some listener questions. As you can tell, this show is really going to revolve around the listener questions. I think hopefully, again, I'm hoping because I'm going back to two shows next week, this is going to be the last show that's quite as dead as this one as far as real news to talk about is concerned. Again, there is news to talk about, but not really in depth. It's kind of just black and white. What you see is what you get, right? But a lot of good listener questions here I want to get to. Uh, BSBL for Life 08. When are we hearing about Desmond Tisdall? That's a very good question. Desmond Tisdall announced he will, he will commit, I believe it's November the 3rd. Um, if I have that date wrong, I do apologize, but it's sometime during the season in November. So we're not going to know until later in the season. Um, but again, overall, I think it's really going to come down to the wire between Auburn and South Carolina. George underscore underscore Floyd. Have we lost some ground on Tank Bigsby? I know this is a big question. There's been a lot of questions about the running back, uh, the running back recruits, uh, a current running back that's committed in Marshawn Lloyd. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think the Gamecocks have lost ground on Tank Bigsby. I think South Carolina right now, what fans have to grasp is that this is just the recruiting process. These guys are going to take other visits. They're going to go back and forth. That's why, again, it sounds blasphemous because I run the Spurs Up show and it's my thing. And, and I, you know, I, I think people expect me to be a recruiting guru and be, be in the weeds with recruiting. But I'll be honest with you guys. Before I even started doing the Spurs Up show, I, I, I've never been a big recruiting guy. I, I'm just not a diehard recruiting guy simply because of the back and forth and back and forth with recruiting, especially now. It's gotten even worse with social media and all that stuff. But, you know, I've never been a diehard recruiting guy. But this is one of the reasons because riding recruiting is like riding a wave. It is up and down. It is back and forth. You never know what these kids are thinking. You know, I still feel good about Tank, Tank Bigsby. I really do. I, from the things I've heard from people pretty close to the program and just things in general, I feel good about it. I still feel good about Marshawn Lloyd, but I mean, the more tabloids you read and things you read and different insiders and the way people spin things, it can definitely come off as, you know, hey, the ship's falling apart. We're not going to get either guy. I mean, but I, overall, it's going to be wait and see, but I, I do feel good still about Tank Bigsby, even though I know Auburn is pushing pretty hard for him and Georgia as well, really. Um, Matt Pack underscore a-H-A-H, how much do you think football recruitment affects other Gamecock recruiting? I would say none at all. Um, I mean, I will say that I think there's a different mindset around the campus when football is doing well. Um, I just think everyone is in a good mood, I guess you could say. But, I mean, how much does football's recruiting affect baseball's recruiting? I, I think zero. I, I just – I don't think it affects it at all. Um, John underscore Wilgus underscore IV, who do you believe will end up committing to Carolina and where will we rank nationally? If I had to guess right now, I, you know, it's – one of the things I hate, and I, I've done it too, is that we always say, you know, very, very early in the recruiting cycle or in the recruiting process, whatever you want to call it, that, oh, this might be the best class in school history. I feel like the last two years we've said that. And realistically, this is probably going to be, I think, you know, I'll be happy if this is a top 15 class. I think that will be a really, really good class. Of the big guys left, you know, if I had to, if I had to, you know, gun to head, say who's going to commit right now, I, I still truly believe Jordan Birch will be a Gamecock. I think Miles Murphy will be a Gamecock. I do think Tank and Marshawn will be Gamecocks. Um, you know, the, maybe Tisdall. I'm, I'm still going to say Tisdall goes to Auburn. I've been saying that for the longest time. I'm going to say he goes to Auburn. But uh, I don't know. It, it is feeling more so right now we may only get one of the two as far as Marshawn Lloyd or Tank Bigsby. But uh, – I, I think they'll hold the class together they have now and also get Jordan. Really, the, the one that matters right now is Jordan Birch. I mean, it, can South Carolina get him? Um, I think the Gamecocks do get him, to be honest with you. Um, John underscore Wilgus underscore Ivy also asked, why is Chase Bryce so garbage but his head is so big? And he uses the garbage emoji, which I really like. 
Yeah, so so getting back to the Jake Bentley thing. So if you missed it, which if you did, I don't know how. Jay, uh, Chase Bryce, Clemson's backup quarterback, basically um, quote tweeted an article that was saying, because obviously it was played up very much that Jake Bentley beat out Trevor Lawrence to win this Manning Paxton Academy aired out championship thing. He quote tweeted an article um, that said basically what I just said with a picture of Trevor Lawrence. And he said, well, I guess y'all must be bored. Which, if okay, so if the commentary stopped there, because what Chase Bryce tried to say later is that he is friends with Jake Bentley, which I don't doubt that. They're buddies, whatever. And he was saying more that it was a clickbait article and they used Trevor's picture. And he was saying you must be bored to the, the newspaper people or whatever. And, and I would have believed that had he not continued to go on. Because it was a troll job, in my opinion. If he not continued to go on when he put up another tweet saying, oh, these Carolina fans, mad. Like, he was egging it on at that point. So it's like, no, bro, you can't play the victim card and say that you meant this when you really said that or whatever when you egged it on yourself. So, you know, I don't know what the deal with Chase Bryce is. I, I, I don't know how – it's pretty sad when you see a guy like that that upset over, you know – Chase, are you mad you didn't get invited to the Manning Passing Academy? Well, if you want to get invited, you probably, one, need to transfer. Two, you probably need to just get better. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, bro, but being that salty about it, I mean, listen, he did beat out Trevor Lawrence. I, was it a little clickbait that they used a picture of Trevor Lawrence for the head, with that article headline? Yeah, a little bit. But, I mean, the fact he felt the need to comment on it so badly, he was that salty he had to comment on it? Come on, man. Just absolutely absurd. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy that a program like Clemson that has won two national titles, they've won five in a row in the rivalry series, they're still triggered by South Carolina. It does not matter. Still triggered by South Carolina. It's insane. Um, Hutton underscore Thomas 13. Freshman most likely to start early and freshman to make most overall impact this season. Um, That's a good question. I think the freshman most likely to start early is Zach Pickens. I mean, I just think overall from a talent perspective, I think he's a guy that's going to be on the field early and often. And freshman to make most overall impact this season? Um, That's another good question. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Cam Smith. I I think Cam Smith could be this year's J.C. Horn. I I really do. I think he could be a guy that really shows out and plays really well as a freshman. And I think he'll be a guy that will play a ton. So those are my two. Zach Pickens for most likely to start and freshman and make my most overall impact. I'm going to say Cam Smith. Um, underscore it's underscore Baylor's underscore. Do you think our defense can show out and who flies under the radar on defense? I, I It's Baylor's on Instagram. I am very excited for this year's defense. I, I, am, I think South Carolina, and I'm going to talk about it obviously a lot more as I start breaking down offense, defense, special teams as we get to our season preview series, stuff like that. But I think this is the most athletic and the best defense South Carolina will have fielded since 2013. No doubt this is the most athletic, the most talented athletes on that side of the ball the Gamecocks have had since 2013. Uh, without a doubt, the Will Muschamp era. But since 2013, I think this is, this is going to be a fun defense to watch, in my opinion. I, I, am, I hope I'm not too, too riding too high in regards to the defense. They've got to stay healthy. That's the biggest thing for this defense, obviously. But I, I think this defense – can be really, really surprisingly good, if that makes sense. Um, who's flying under the radar on defense? You know, as far as preseason conversation, who's flying under the radar? I think a guy like a Rick Sandage or a J.J. Anibare, two guys that played on the defensive line as freshmen, guys that played early and often and really thrown to the fire. 
I think we're going to see how much that pays off or see that pay off this season. Uh, th- those guys, obviously, were not great last year. We both have been in the system now for a year, been, been in strength training for a year. They've gotten bigger, stronger, faster. And, and I think those are two guys, honestly, that uh, we're, we're really going to look at those guys and say, man, that freshman year really paid off for them. I just think those are two guys that maybe we're not talking about quite enough on defense. So, J.J. Nibari and Rick Sandage, I think, will be forces on the inside for Carolina. And, again, Bales, I, I really believe this is a defense that's going to be very, very fun to watch for Carolina. Um, Hunter Team says, what do you know about Colton Gaithier? Um Colton Gaithier, yeah, 2021 quarterback, obviously a guy who loves South Carolina, has been on campus, has been to the camps, um, a guy that I've actually interacted with a little bit on social media and is a guy that, uh, you know, I, I mean, South Carolina continues to stay hot on the quarterback recruiting trail. You know, I think this is a guy that, you know, right now you get a feeling that I think he wants to be a Gamecock. Obviously, it's very, very early in the recruiting process for him being a 2021 prospect, but uh, – no, yeah, I just think another great, good quarterback amongst the line of guys at South Carolina is recruiting. It's really crazy the transformation we have seen in the quarterback room of the, over the past couple of years. I mean, I think South Carolina has the potential to have one of the best, if not the best, quarterback room in the country over the next two, three seasons, if you will. So, very, very exciting stuff. Um, let's see. Hunter Teams also says, love the show. Listen every week. Is South Carolina becoming a SEC contender soon? Hunter, appreciate those kind words, by the way. Um, I, I think over the next two, three years, I think two to three years, you take a look at this team and this program. And I mean, here's the thing. If South Carolina is not competing to go to Atlanta in two, three years, Will Muschamp will not be head coach. So I, I don't think, I think in two to three years, South Carolina talent-wise, just as a team-wise, will have the team capable of, of going to Atlanta. I think they'll at least have that team capable of competing for the SEC Eastern Division and going to Atlanta. I, I do think so. But I think it'll be two to three years off. I think the Gamecocks need about an, another recruiting cycle or two to get the guys in there they need um, to really reach that level, if you will. But I think two to three years, South Carolina will be back to being that team competing to go to Atlanta. Um, Mason underscore Crow 48, are you concerned about Georgia going after Marshawn Lloyd? I, I mean, it's definitely a little bit concerning just because Georgia, I mean, they are, you know, they are running back you. They really have earned that title in South Carolina has swung and missed on a lot of running backs. And, you know, I mean, obviously South Carolina in this decade, the only two good running backs, really Marcus Lattimore and Mike Davis. I mean, really the only two guys is the only two guys to get drafted at the running back position this decade for the Gamecocks. So anytime Georgia comes in the mix, obviously it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit unsettling because again, they have such a good track record with running backs. And I know Marshawn Lloyd's a guy that obviously wants to come in, probably play three years and go to the league. And, um, I wouldn't doubt that he could do that at Georgia. So I think it's – I think South Carolina is going to have to continue to sell Lloyd on the fact that he's going to be the guy when he gets on campus. I mean, it's – this is an opportunity to make, you know, make your uh, – make your legacy at South Carolina. You know, do something that hasn't been done. Don't just go to Georgia and just be another guy. Be another forgotten running back at the University of Georgia. Come to South Carolina and, and create a legacy. Um, I, that, that's the way I would sell him at least. Um, Timmy Clark, eleven seventeen. Who will be more of an impact, Marshawn Lloyd or Tank Bigsby? Well, this is assuming that South Carolina gets both. That, that's a that's a very good question, man. I think that's why it's so big that South Carolina does get both because I could really see that being a thunder and lightning combination. Marshawn Lloyd, a short, shorter, stockier guy, you know, a hard nosed runner. Tank Bigsby, I think, a little bit more agile, a little bit more, uh, you know, breakaway speed, if you will. Uh, who will be more of an impact? I'd say probably Tank Bigsby overall as far as big plays are concerned. But I think Marshawn Lloyd would be that invaluable guy that you have on third and shorts, for fourth and shorts, when you need a couple yards, he's going to get it for you. Um, 
Hinman, Hinman J4, when are you going to stop entertaining idiots questions about Jake being quarterback number one? Um, Hinman J4, I mean, you know what? I like to take everyone's questions. I, I know, it, you know, everyone has the right to their own opinion. They can ask the questions they want. They can say whatever they want. I mean, I agree with you, I guess, to the sense that I think it's a silly conversation because there's no chance in hell that Jake Bentley's not the starting quarterback come the North Carolina game. And barring injury, there's probably really no chance he's ever taken over, overtaken, I should say, by anyone else. Um, but, hey, everybody's got the right to their own opinion. They can ask the questions they want to ask for sure. Aston underscore Reynolds underscore bring back the battle gray unis. I, I don't know if they'll bring back those specifically, but we definitely need to see some alternates from Under Armour. I, I 100% agree. I would love to see uh, South Carolina get back in the Wounded Warrior stuff again, no doubt. Rux underscore Smith underscore 2007. How many interceptions will Shiloh have this year? Okay, you spelled it shill. How many interceptions will Shiloh have this year? Uh, I think the over-under for him is one, because think about it. J.C. Horn didn't even have an interception, which is really hard to fathom as good as he was last year. So, um, the over-under is one. I'll say Shiloh gets one. I'll say Shiloh Sanders gets one for Carolina, though. Um, Jay Gray, 0911. How many more recruits can we pick up? Honestly, I don't have the numbers right here in front of me. I'd probably say four or five more guys. But, again, don't hold me to that. I don't have the numbers right here in front of me. Underscore Jay Blanc, hearing a lot about Feaster to Carolina. What are the odds, and does he start immediately? I think the odds are very, 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 very good that Tavian Feaster is wearing garnet and black. I don't think the decision will be made until August or so. But I think the odds are very good. And the odds of him starting if he does come to South Carolina are very, very good as well. I think he – I don't want to say he's automatically the number one guy the day he steps on campus, but let me put it to you this way. Tavian Feaster would not be coming to South Carolina to not be the number one guy. He's going to transfer somewhere he can play. If he didn't want to play, he would have stayed at Clemson and taken the garbage carries after Travis Etienne did his thing. Um, So, overall, I mean, I think Feaster comes. He's coming to be the guy, and I think he will be the guy. I don't know if he'll be the guy week one or so, but I I definitely think um, he will be the guy that South Carolina really wants to groom to be their starting running back and be their go-to dude. for sure. So appreciate the listener questions, guys. Really appreciate you guys leaving those questions. Again, I I know this was kind of a slower show, really just a bunch of news and notes and random tidbits to get to, but things will certainly, certainly pick up as we get into next week. We get into SEC media days as well. Again, I have a show dropping for you guys next week that I know you'll be very, very excited about. I'm going to want your input, by the way, but very excited about. I mean, football season, you can smell it. It's almost in the, it's in the air a little bit. It's almost here. We're all just waiting, dragging along in July. Um, but uh, obviously very excited again. Um, have a fantastic interview, however, this episode with Wesley Saunders, former Gamecocks tight end. Wes, a great dude. Had a fantastic conversation with him. A lot of stuff you probably don't know about Wes Saunders. Obviously, we talked about the normal stuff, his path to South Carolina, just his playing career, some of his, his biggest games, but a lot of the things that happened, the controversies that happened at the end of Wes Saunders' Gamecock career with the Whitney Hotel situation, him being dismissed from the team, um, his relationship with Eric Hyman and Steve Spurrier at the time. Um, also, you know, after that, his path to the NFL, playing for the Birmingham Iron, kind of what he's doing right now to get back in the NFL, the hashtag Why Not West movement, a lot of good stuff. The interviews brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only one that I use, and the only one that I would recommend to get your tickets. Go download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything, whether it be sport, whether it be South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, whatever you need tickets to, literally everything. 
literally anything you need tickets to. If you're buying your South Carolina football tickets early, please go download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Use that promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P and save $10 off your first purchase today. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks tight end Wesley Saunders. All right, guys, sorry. Just sat down to eat and some news scrolled across my phone. Isaiah Walker, the four-star offensive lineman, decommits from the Gamecocks. <sighs> guys, my only comment is this. Recruiting is dumb. Recruiting is very, very, very dumb. And that's all I have to say about that. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks from 2007 to 2009. As a tight end, he had 60 catches for 718 yards and six touchdowns in Garnet and Black. He also played in the NFL from 2011 to 2014 with both the Steelers and Colts and was most recently with the Birmingham Iron in the now shut down AAF in 2019. I'm very excited to welcome to the show former Gamecocks tight end Wesley Saunders. Wes, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. So, Wes, let's go back to the beginning for you. Let's dive right into it. You're from Durham, North Carolina. Went to Riverside High School um, in Durham. You know, I was looking back at your recruitment. Obviously, you were a very highly recruited guy. You know, you had a lot of offers from not only South Carolina, but Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Penn State, obviously all the local in-state North Carolina schools. And if I remember correctly, you committed to South Carolina on signing day. It was a process that really came down to the last minute, and South Carolina was able to nab you in that 2007 class. Just talk about, Wes, your recruitment and what went into the decision to come to South Carolina. Uh, well, you know, there's nothing like uh, being recruited out of high school. You know, that's, that's an experience like no other, especially when, you know, you're working your whole uh, career to get to that point. So it was, it was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I had, but, of course, there was a lot of pressure for a 17-year-old to deal with at the time. So, luckily, I had a, a good support system around me to kind of help guide me through. Uh, but, you know, it was pretty intense. And, you know, it, it, uh, it came down to uh, North Carolina and South Carolina. The University of North Carolina at the time had uh, Coach Bush Davis there. And uh, that, that whole staff, you know, they're about 10 minutes away from my house. So it was pretty easy for them to recruit me. And, you know, I had gotten in a pretty good relationship with those guys. But, you know, Coach Spurry and Coach Chatham and uh, those guys out of South Carolina, man, just wooed me over. And, of course, you know, who, who doesn't want to throw the ball all over the field like Coach Spurry was, uh, was promising that he'd do? So, you know, it, it made the decision pretty easy right there on the, on the last day of signing day. So would you say that was the that was the separating factor for you was just the relationship with Coach Spurrier and the opportunity to play in that offense or what what else would you say kind of separated Carolina from uh, from North Carolina? Uh, well, you know, obviously playing in the SEC, playing against the top competition, I felt I was you know a high caliber uh, player, so I wanted to play against the best competition to prove myself. Uh, you know, we they had a lot of uh, prime time games set up, and honestly, to be honest, the uh, <laughs> University of North Carolina was a little too close to home. And, uh, you know, I felt like I needed to get away. Although, you know, down 85 South, about three and a half hours, that, that seemed like a whole world away at the time. No doubt. So, Wes, kind of switching gears, talk about that 2007 recruiting class, because I know that's one that was, I believe, Steve Spurrier's highest rated recruiting class. Uh, I really yep. would argue was the class that sort of started the, the culture change, if you will, that we saw at South Carolina that led to the three straight 11-win seasons, the 2010 SEC East Championship. Um, what do you think made that recruiting class so special? Because obviously, again, you were a part of it. Right. Well, you know, I've, obviously uh, a lot of guys, a lot of talent coming out of North Carolina. Uh, you know, myself and Melvin Ingram and uh, Chris Culliver, guys that I, I, I grown up playing, uh, playing in the same state with. You know, we just kind of banded together and said, hey, let's go, 
you know, South Carolina hadn't really, you know, staked this claim as, as, as a heavy hitter in the SEC East. So we wanted to go somewhere uh, where we could be kind of, you know, big fish in a little pond, so to speak. And, and, and like you said, change the culture around there. So it was pretty exciting for us to kind of uh, come together and see what was going on. You know, obviously everyone is checking everyone else's recruitment, uh, you know, seeing, seeing what's going on. So uh, being that we were able to uh, make that decision and have one of the best recruiting classes in South Carolina history, it was pretty special, you know, and obviously, you know, having early commits like Steven Garcia and Brian Maddox and those top, top rated guys made the decision a lot easier. Talk about you mentioned earlier, Wes, your your former head coach, Hall of Famer, obviously was in the AAF coaching the Orlando Apollo, Steve Spurrier. Talk about your first interactions with him. What was that like? Uh, well, on the recruiting trail, you know, he was pretty straightforward. He uh, he 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 looked at your eye, tell you, you know, to tell you the truth, and uh, he kept he kept it honest, and that's what he, that's what we appreciated. That's what my father and I, my mother, we all appreciated that, and of course, his resume spoke for itself. So. He's the kind of guy that he'll he'll throw on the tape for you and let and let you see the the truth in the pudding if you want to if you will. So uh, I just appreciated his old his old approach and uh, you know he, he obviously had a uh, an extensive knowledge of the game of football and that's what I was eager to learn from. No doubt. So moving your freshman year, West 2007, you had 12 catches for 151 yards, 12.6 yards per catch. You were actually named. Uh, to the freshman All-SEC team by Sporting News, collegeballnews.com uh, rated you third-team freshman All-American as well. Talk about how you feel your game transitioned from, you know, obviously the high school ranks to coming in as a true freshman at South Carolina, how you feel that freshman season went for you. Well, it was definitely a learning curve, you know, uh, <laughs> step, stepping into South Carolina and playing high-caliber players, that, teams that we were playing, uh, but having – Having a coach like Spurrier and having guys like Jared Cook and Andy Boyd in front of me at the time uh, made it a lot easier. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. And, you know, I had to kind of talk to myself and say, hey, man, this is what you came here for. Uh, don't get scared now that you're playing in front of, you know, 80-some thousand people in the LSU. So, at Death Valley. So, you know, those are the kind of the moments that I was, I was preparing myself for. And I felt like, uh, you know, I, I did pretty well, obviously, you know, making the all-SEC freshman team. But, you know, I, w I wanted more after that. And I, I got a little taste of it. I was just really excited to move forward from there. No doubt. And, Wes, I, I just want to say, I know you were a guy. I mean, you were obviously, you know, I, I think I speak for all game got grands when I say you were a massive dude. You still are a massive dude. But, I mean, you were 6'5", 280 back then, a guy that – you know, later in your career, you definitely showed him, and you had the hands. But when you came in, I mean, was the plan was the plan more so to use you as a blocking tight end or a passing a pass catching tight end, or was it a mix of both? Or I guess kind of what was the plan for you overall? I think it, it, you know, the, the numbers kind of jumped off the charts at you, but I never felt six five two eighty. I still, so uh, I was flexed out a lot. Uh, you know, basketball was my primary sport. So, you know, I felt like I had a lot of uh, more agility than guys my size, you know. So, you know, that, that number uh, stuck out to a lot of people when they read it on paper. But on the field, you know, I, I felt like I was very swift to move uh, accordingly. Obviously, you know, the strength program that we, you know, uh, we were engaged in in South Carolina, I was able to trim some of the fat. And, you know, I got down about 270, but I'm still, you know, uh, able to keep a lot of my mobility. So, uh, pass catching was always my number one uh ability and you know, mismatch problems. I know that's what, what Spurrier was looking to exploit. So, uh, yeah, I, I never I, – trust me, the, the term blocking tight end was something that used to irritate my skin. You know, I, I never want to be labeled as that because, to me, that was too close to a tackle. 
For sure. So one game I want to talk about, you know, Wes, because you talked about it was a learning curve your freshman year, and I feel like maybe this game, you might agree, kind of encapsulated that, but uh, the Kentucky game, 2007, which was a huge game for South Carolina, obviously two highly, very highly ranked teams, and the Gamecocks obviously got that the win behind a huge game by Eric Norwood and a you know, host of others, but in that game, you actually had your career-long reception, was a 48-yard reception, and that, on that play, um, the ball was poked out. You fumbled into the end zone. Just talk about that play. I know you've commented about it on social media a couple times, but talk about that play. And I guess my question is, did you learn anything from that? Was there, is that part of the learning curve, I guess you were talking about? Well, definitely, you know, as I can talk about it now, you know, a little over about 12 years later, you know, it's funny now, but of course it wasn't funny when it happened. Uh, but yeah, we, we run a play, a wide drag play and I broke wide open across the middle of the field and I was taking it down the sideline, and all I could see was, was the end zone. And I kind of relaxed right at the last second, and one of and the Kentucky defender poked it out perfectly right behind and went out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. Now, not, not only did uh, everyone across the country see that at the time on primetime ESPN, but, you know, obviously Coach Squarrier wasn't too pleased at the time either. But, you know, it was one of those things that I, I held myself you know, accountable for those kind of things. But, you know, everyone else, oh, he's just a freshman. You know, those things tend to happen. But, of course, that might have been the best, worst thing that could happen to me. You know, it encapsulated a lot of things that uh, I needed to learn right then about not, not relaxing, uh, always staying focused, and, you know, completing the task at hand because you can't allow those kind of things to happen. And luckily, a couple of plays later, Eric Norwood and, and the defense saved me by getting the sack and getting the ball back. But, you know, it, it still didn't feel too great. What did Spurrier say to you when you got back to the sideline? I have to imagine it was uh, a, a pretty decent tongue lashing he gave you. Uh, actually, it wasn't that bad. He just kind of gave me that look, like, huh, you ain't see him, huh? You just didn't see him. Yeah, just, you know, I, I couldn't really say anything. Everybody was just, you know, just one of those things. I, could, I actually couldn't believe it happened. I, it, it felt like a bad dream at the moment, you know, and it was like, ah. But, you know, of course, as, as things will happen, uh, the next year I ended up scoring my first touchdown against Kentucky. Same thing in Kentucky. So, you know, it just had to happen that way, I guess. In South, won, Carolina, so. in, in South Carolina, got the win. That's what I was about to say. That's really exactly. That's the, that's the most important thing. We that, won. No I mean, doubt. No a doubt. Lot worse. <laughs> For sure. So, moving into 2008, West spring practice 2008, you were actually named the most improved tight end in spring. Uh, what would you say was the biggest jump in your game? What do you think you improved the most on from that freshman year to, I guess, your spring of your sophomore season? Uh, well, honestly, it's just uh, conditioning, you know, and getting acclimated to the, the, the game of football on an SEC collegiate level. Uh, he figured that I think the best way for me to stay on the field is to be a highly conditioned player where, you know, I don't get tired as, as quickly. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was the biggest jump for me uh, that next year and, I, and, and learning uh, defense, learning how to read defenses on the go and becoming you know, a versatile player who can kind of uh, pick up things on the go quickly. And that's what Coach Perry appreciated. Absolutely. So, 2008, you already mentioned it, Wes, but your first career touchdown reception came 2008 at Kentucky. Uh, I want you, Wes, to talk about that play specifically because on that play, it was actually a trick play. Um, mm -hmm. I forget the name of the play. I know Stephen Garcia has commented, uh, commented on it before, but talk about that play. What was the name of the play? What did you guys specifically call him? What did you see that led to that play call? Uh, well, yeah, the play was called the Cajun play. Uh, Coach Berrier drew it up, and obviously, you know, he, he wanted to play on the fact that I was such a large man that uh, sometimes if I was, was to sneak onto the field, uh, they didn't know whether, you know, myself or Jerry Cook was in the game where I would, you know, kind of blend in as an offensive tackle. 
Well, that's what he was hoping would happen. And, uh, you know, we would go to the line in an offset formation, and I would kind of sink to the line as a tackle. But, you know, I would really be eligible, an eligible receiver. And, uh, you know, kind of the idea was to catch the defense off guard and snap it quickly, you know, and, you know, Garcia to pass it to me uh, in the end zone. And that's, you know, that's what happened. It went off without a hitch, and, you know, it won the game for us. So, you know, Coach Berry is one of those guys who kind of <laughs> he formulated it in his mind and then spoke it into existence. Did he do that a lot as far as just drawing up ball plays? And was that something did he did he improvise a lot, kind of just drawing up random plays for you guys? I mean, what what was it like as far as learning his playbook and um, him improvising and stuff like that? Yeah, that was the best part about it. You know, he he wasn't one of those stubborn kind of coaches where if something wasn't working, he was going to try it anyway. He, you know, he wanted to know wanted to go with what works, and of course, he wants to win. So you know, he was he was not opposed to drawing up a play in the dirt or on the sideline or at halftime. Uh, in order to you know, defeat our opponents. So that's that's one thing I appreciate. And, of course, one thing that you had to uh, be ready for change. Change is always uh, on the horizon with Coach Spurrier. No doubt. So, Wes, you talked about a little bit um, Stephen Garcia being in that 2007 recruiting class with you as well. I know before – really in 2009 as well. But I'd say before 2009, the quarterback competition was really just all over the place. I mean, you had Steven Garcia, Chris Smelly, Tommy Beecher. You know, I may be missing a couple names, other guys coming in and out. Yeah. How did you guys – how did you specifically – and then how did the guys in the locker room handle that as well? I mean, was it ever something that bothered you guys? Did you even let it affect your play who was behind center? Because I know, you know, you could always tell that the players really responded differently to when Steven Garcia was under center. But how, how did you and how did the guys in the locker room handle that ever go, you know, the ongoing quarterback competition? Well, you know, it's it very interesting because obviously the, the quarterback competition has nothing to do with anyone else besides Coach Perry and the quarterback. So, you know, everyone would ask us how we felt about it, but we, we had our own jobs to do. And, you know, who, who was under center was not our uh, – okay. yeah. and uh, who, who was under center was not really our concern. And uh, so, obviously, when we, got, when we got out there on the field, we could easily tell who was uh, the most comfortable because the pressure was on them. You know, the pressure was on the quarterback not to mess up. And you can kind of tell sometimes I would be worried about Coach looking over there – looking over their shoulder and coach uh, maybe you know, see and see that they'd be taken out of the game. And of course, you know, Garcia, uh, they, they, you know, each quarterback had their own uh, specialties. Uh, but Garcia, one of his specialties is really not caring what anyone thinks. <laughs> you know, that's kind of one of the best attributes you can have when you're facing a quarterback controversy, so to speak. Uh, just go out there and play your game and let the chips fall where they may. Now, I, I could always tell, I know you and Steven Garcia, I don't know if still to this day, but you guys had a really close relationship. Obviously, you were one of his favorite targets. But uh, talk about the relationship with you and Steven Garcia, and when did it click for you that he was, you know, the guy for you guys? Uh, well, you know, Steven, he's one of those guys, he's just a, <laughs> he's an outgoing personality, to say the least. So, you know, you, you either kind of love him or you hate him. And I, Obviously, as, as a quarterback of our team, I, I, loved, I loved everything he was about. He was a hard worker. Uh, maybe kind of misunderstood with some of the off the field things, but I knew he was a good guy and I knew he meant well. So, you know, uh, going to war with a guy like that, um, I didn't mind it at all. You know, he was always encouraging. Of course, he liked throwing me the ball. And, you know, <laughs> we, we, we connected on some pretty, pretty nice passes over, over the years. So, you know, I appreciate it. He, he had all the physical attributes uh, that you wanted out of a quarterback. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciated that. And, and, of course, you know, going, as we went on in our collegiate career, we kind of uh, banded together almost as the maybe misunderstood guys at times, you know. Uh, 
but that kind of made us closer. Now, Wes, I know you're a guy, you're from Durham, North Carolina. Again, like I said, it's an out-of-state guy. Talk about the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry, because I'm going to get specifically into the games you played against those guys, especially the 2009 game, which I would say was one of your most memorable as a Gamecock. But talk about the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry as a whole as a guy that was from out-of-state. When did it click for you just how big of a rivalry, just how bitter of a rivalry it was? Uh, well, you know, actually coming from Durham, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not unfamiliar to rivalries with the UNC team. But you know, growing up, my one of my dad's best friends, uh, who uh, growing up I called my uncle uh, Lloyd Edwards, his son Kalimba Edwards went to South Carolina, so uh, we would go down there and watch the games. And I remember nine, ten year old my, myself just looking at you know, how how intense it was in South Carolina in general, and then just feeling. I remember the the feeling of the South Carolina game, the South Carolina Clemson games. It was just a different atmosphere. Like, you know, the, the other games were, were pretty intense, but this just brought a different atmosphere. There's a little more anxiety in the air, and uh, you could just, just tell it was something different. Now, back then, I couldn't tell what it was exactly, but uh, as I got older, I, I, I kind of started to understand how, how intense that rivalry was, and especially in the state of South Carolina. It's, it's more than just bragging rights. You know, you see, it's almost like you're fighting over territory. And, uh, you know, that, that it was very intense for me. I, re- I remember visiting Clemson, and uh, – you know, not not really uh, get, getting a good vibe from the campus, and you know, of course, me knowing about you know, all the historical things that, that went on around that area, it just kind of added more fuel to the fire. You know, I didn't I didn't really need any more of a reason to hate them, but going to South Carolina just solidified that. Absolutely, any reason to hate Clemson's a good reason for sure. Exactly. Um, exactly. T- talk about you know. I- Obviously, the 08 season ended West on a really poor note. That was the game at Clemson where it was, uh, you know, Chris Smelly and Steven Garcia really going back and forth. A lot of Chris Smelly. Nobody really played well that day. And I just remember the bitter taste in South Carolina fans' mouth. And really from that point, the rivalry and sort of the culture change I think we saw started to happen with some of the freshmen that came in. You think of the Stephon Gilmores, now Sean Jeffries. And obviously the next season, South Carolina beat Clemson. At really, whack. You guys waxed Clemson and Williams-Brice. Was there anything specific about that offseason that you think maybe changed? Did any switch flip? Did anything – did you guys do anything differently from the 08 to 09 season that you would attribute to, I guess, the start of that turnaround, if you will? Um, well, you know, I, I can't really put my finger on it, exactly what happened. Uh, you know, like you said, that game at Clemson in 08, you know, I, I do remember that game. I, I scored that game. Coach, uh, Coach, and, Coach Bray and Jerry Cook got into some kind of – Thing. I don't know what happened, but you know, I was up. I was the next man up, and I, uh, I remember scoring a touchdown. And my dad telling me he missed the touchdown because someone had broken into our house, and he got a call from the, from the alarm company. But yeah, I, I, that, that next offseason, I'm not sure exactly what happened. Was quick, maybe you know, one of those things. Maturity, you can't really put a put a, a finger on maturity. But the guys who were at the helm meeting and the guys that we had coming in, it was just a great mixture. And you know, like you said, Stefan and, and Alshon and those guys coming in. Uh, along with the seasoned vets like myself and Melvin and, and, and Garcia and all these guys, it, it, uh, we can see we can see the shift happening and we can feel it. And of course, bringing in Coach Fitz, Coach Fitz, uh, the strength and conditioning coach, uh, made a world of difference for us. So you know, all those all those factors contributed to uh, a shift happening, and we can feel it. For sure. So, Wes, talk about the Florida game, 2009. That's one I want to go to, the uh, the Wounded Warrior game. I know the game did not turn out the way you wanted, but you talked about earlier kind of your your athleticism, if you will, former basketball player. And I really feel like one play that really encapsulates that was the touchdown you had against Florida in 2009, which was a great play. I mean, 
Steven Garcia gets pressure at the middle, rolls out. You're in the corner of the end zone. It's a great throw where only you can catch it. You go up, make the catch, get your feet down. I mean, I really feel like, again, it was a play that really showed the, the skill set that you, you, you really had. Talk about that play and, uh, yeah, just that play in general. Uh, yeah, that, that was a great play and, uh, on, on Garcia's part, especially because uh, practicing that play all week, uh, we, the, the play was never meant to come to my side. You know, especially I was double teamed at the time by a good friend of my major right and Joe Hayden. So the, the, the play was uh, technically never supposed to come to me, but uh, Brandon Spikes, another North Carolina native, blitzed up the middle and uh, forced Fort Garcia out of the pocket, and that's you know that's kind of where we do our best work on the run where you know the play breaks down. So. I knew what he was thinking. He knew what I was thinking. And, if you, you know, you can watch the play. It was almost like instantaneous. You saw where I was going and shifted up there. And, uh, you know, I just knew I had to go up there and make a play. Um, you know, obviously, being, being a little bit bigger than Joe at the time made a huge difference. And, uh, you know, I was just really excited to be able to uh, score a touchdown on such a memorable game, the first Wounded Warrior game uh, at Williamsburg. So, you know, it was a pretty memorable moment for myself. And, of course, uh, the, the game didn't end the way we wanted it to, but it, it definitely gave us some life. Yeah, and they were the number one team in the country, I believe, if, as well, if I remember that correctly. So, I mean, you guys definitely – Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 were, they were pretty loaded. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty loaded, especially on defense. So, you know, it was, to see that we can hold our own with them, you know, obviously, you know, we want to say that a loss is good, but uh, those were one of the moments where, you know, we kind of looked at ourselves and said, hey, man, we can do this. We're a pretty good team. Now, Wes, I mentioned earlier I was going to go back to the, the Clemson games you played, and obviously we talked a little bit about 08. You had a touchdown that one. Let's talk about the 09 Clemson game because little did we know it would be your last game at Williams-Brice Stadium in Garnet and Black. And like I said, I think one of your most memorable games is the Gamecock simply because when you score against Clemson, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be remembered pretty vividly by South Carolina fans. But, uh, you know, obviously a noon kickoff. That game gets to off to a very auspicious start where you guys kick off to C.J. Spiller. He gets tackled. There's a penalty. You have to re-kick. He takes the next next kick back to the house for a touchdown. I, I remember thinking to myself watching that game, you know, just kind of, oh, boy, it's going to be one of those days. And you guys come out, lay the wood to Clemson, 34-17. Uh, you had two touchdown catches. I know one early in the game on the drag route where you kind of, you know, deflect the defender off you and score. And then really probably one of my favorite touchdowns from the rivalry, one late where South Carolina has it fourth down and I believe fourth and goal. And Garcia hits you on a little play-action rollout, and you catch it, and you could definitely see yourself feeling yourself a little bit because I think you knew you just sealed the victory and put your stamp on it. Just talk about that day, I guess, you know, not knowing at the time would be your last one in Williams-Brice, you know, being able to at least say that your last one there was, you know, beating your arch rival. Just talk about that game in general and, I guess, your performance that day. Oh, yeah, man. It was, it was magical, obviously, because uh, that, that was fun. You hear all year, look, I know the season might not be going how, how we wanted to, but if you beat Clemson, the season is salvaged. And uh, at that point, uh, three years into it, we kind of understood how important that game was. But like you said, it, it, it kind of got to an, off, an auspicious start with uh, with C.J. Spiller taking it back to the house. But uh, that's, that was a testament to our team. We kind of went, okay, we just kind of took a deep breath. We said, we know what we had to do. Uh, we went back out there and got focused. And, of course, I was in coach's ear uh, about getting me the ball you know, all year. Of course, two catches for about 10 yards, but, you know, two touchdowns, it was pretty special. I kind of got hurt on the first touchdown. Uh, you know, the, the defender kind of went at my knees and uh, hit me in a, in a bad spot. And, luckily, I landed. You know, I was able to keep my balance and stroll into the end zone. But I almost you know, probably can't tell how bad it hurt. I had a helmet right on the thigh, and it was uh, pretty bad, so. Later on in the game, I was kind of struggling to make it through. And uh, I remember that the last play when we were deciding whether we were going to kick a field goal or not. And 
Kashi and I were kind of begging and pleading with Coach Curry on the sideline. Like, come on, let's go for it. Let's do it. We got yeah. it. And, uh, of course, you know, once we executed the play and scored, it, it just felt really good to be able to, uh, to seal the victory and, you know, get ready to, to celebrate with everyone in Columbia that night. Yeah, I was going to say that last touchdown, I mean, I was wondering, was there any, was there even a conversation about kicking the field goal? I know you guys probably after taking it on the chin for a couple of years really wanted to, uh, you know, just simply put, lay it on those guys. Exactly, yeah. We we, we definitely could have kicked the field goal, but, you know, we, we, we understood the importance of uh, the aesthetics of going forward and making it, and, and, and that's exactly what we did. So it was, it was a pretty special moment. And, you know, obviously, like you said, I didn't know it, it would be my last moment at Williams Bryce, but looking back on it, uh, not a terrible last moment to have in your college career. Not at all, not at all. So I, I know I'm skipping around here a little bit, Wes, but let's go back a little bit earlier in the 2009 season. You started the season off on a really high note, actually. You had 12 catches throughout the first two games. Um, including eight catches for 96 yards and tw- uh, 12-yard average. Didn't have any touchdowns in that one, but eight catches for 96 yards. I mean, what what would you attribute, I guess, going into your junior season, but what would you attribute that, you know, that early success to? Because, I mean, there was obviously – I remember that 2009 game very vividly, and there was a, a very, very good connection between you and Steven Garcia, especially early on. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how it started. First, you know, the first game of the season was at NC State, uh, back in my neck of the woods in Raleigh. And that was a pretty uh, special moment for myself. I had my whole family there. And, and you know, having four catches and, you know, getting the win in that game uh, kind of kind of led the momentum to the next game, uh, obviously, at Georgia. Um, you know, we knew it was going to be a tough game. We knew we were going to have to put up points. And all week, Garcia and myself had kind of been uh, in a good little mode. And, uh, you know, Coach Perry, Coach Perry Jr. drew up a great, great game plan for myself. Uh, where they had me flexed out, you know, going in motion, I'm inside, outside. So they were doing a lot of things with me, and it, and it, and it kind of confused the Georgia defense uh, rather quickly to the point, you know, second half, we are just calling, all right, let's go spot up and we're going to throw it to you. You know, they, they really couldn't handle that over the ball zone and, and uh, going sketching the field a little bit. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a special time. Um, you know, I thought, obviously, I thought, you know, <laughs> the whole season was going to go that way, but you know, being able to put myself on the map and, and show my capabilities, although we weren't able to get to secure the victory on the last day. Like you said, no touchdowns. And I, and I scored that last touchdown, it would have been a different story if Randy Curran hadn't got a, a finger on it. So, yeah, like, I remember like it was yesterday, but uh, it, it was a special game being in, in the hedges in Athens and being able to perform. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like that one in 2009, man, is I, you'd probably agree, that's one that definitely I think you guys should have won. I mean, that one, that one got away, a 41-37 game. And like you said, that last play, I mean, you know, I, I haven't looked at it extensively. I know that you have. But I think I remember you were pretty wide open on that play. And if not tip, that's, that's hitting you right in the hands for the touchdown, I believe. Yeah. And I saw it coming, and boom, there was the, there was the tip. So it was one of those moments, man. But uh, what are you going to do? No doubt. So I can't get off the 2009 season without asking you, Wes. The I know it's a game you didn't do all that great, and I guess one catch for three yards really weren't utilized in the game, but really a slow night offensively totally for South Carolina. But I got to ask you about the 2009 South Carolina Ole Miss game, obviously one that I really feel like was a game that was a – was an early signature win for Steve Spurrier. And again, like we talked about before, really showed the culture change and kind of showed what led to come from 2010 to 2013, beating the number four ranked team in the country, Ole Miss, the birth of Sandstorm. I mean, just 
just talk about that night and what you remember from that game and that that moment specifically. Yeah, Doc. It was, it was another one of those moments where it was a lot of hype built around the game. I remember, uh, you know, Mississippi Mississippi's quarterback had had a lot of uh, hype and attention at the time, and you know, our defense took that kind of personally. Um, and I, I remember us being ready. You know, now I remember, uh, you know, I, I I didn't do too well statistically, but you know, I did did my job blocking and in, in other areas, special teams. So whatever we could do to win, you know, I wasn't I wasn't selfish about it at all. You know, I just I just knew how important winning was. And, uh, but you at that point just even becoming bowl eligible so you know every win mattered and I understood that so it was another special win for us and we were just trying to stack them on stack one uh, in front of the other so Wes moving to 2009 or yeah 2010 excuse me your senior year um, you were listed on the preseason Lombardi watch list also you're a preseason second team all SEC pick by Athlon Sports a fourth team selection by Phil Steele um, but obviously none of that came to fruition. I, I really am interested and curious to get your take on it. Let's start with the Whitney Hotel situation. I, what I – try to – because this was – it always felt kind of like a foggy situation. Talk about what actually happened. I mean, can you shed any light on what the actual situation was and how you were involved in it? Uh, well, you know, it was just a situation where we were, you know, staying off campus at uh, at an apartment, extended stay hotel. You know, we, we were paying rent like everyone else. Um, but, you know, those issues kind of arise with the NCAA once there are boosters involved. Anyone who was involved with the with the university, you know, it was it was, it was, it was, it was such an influx of uh, information and rules and guidelines that we didn't really know about uh, prior uh, to that whole situation going on. So, you know, it was a surprise to kind of, everyone involved, especially since there have been people, you know, staying there before myself and, you know, it had kind of been a, it just kind of understood around the area. Um, but, you know, what I didn't, no one assumed it was as big a deal as it was. Uh, so, you know, it was just one of those kind of things where, you know, guys didn't know and, you know, it, it, it kind of looked worse than it really was and especially publicly in the, in the media and all that. So. Did, did it ever take a toll on you? Because I know it's something that really started, I think, in 2009 and just kind of carried over. I mean, it, was that ever that – did that ever affect you, like, mentally as far – because just having something like that hanging over, I have to imagine, was – I mean, annoying, if nothing else, I, I would think. Well, it started in 2010, and, you know, I, uh, at that – it was around uh, – and uh, what I want to say, the, the spring of 2010, I just been named, uh, you know, probably one of the top tight ends in the country. You know, I, I was, you know, they had come out with all these projections of the the draft the next year. So you know, I was a projected first rounder, and you know, you got all these people telling you how great you are, and uh, but then you know, a situation like that happens, and and of course, the NCAA uh, investigation, and you know, all of that kind of takes a toll on you, especially when you're just trying to focus on football, and and at the time, everything else is uh, seems to be an issue. For sure. And then, you know, before the 2010 season, again, you were dismissed from the team by Steve Spurrier. And really, you know, it was one of those things where I, I just feel like well, a lot of times when guys are dismissed, they say violation of team rules. And there's never an explanation. And you mentioned earlier, I mean, that you you feel like both you and Steven Garcia were guys that were very misunderstood. And I know Steven Garcia, he's been on our show and publicly said he had his issues with, you know, you know former athletics director Eric Hyman. I mean, can, can you – expand on you know what happened that decision to dismiss you from the team was it and, and just when you look back on it now I mean is there any animosity I guess still left from what happened specifically 
Uh, you know, it, it, it hurt uh, initially uh, only because, you know, once I learned how the rules work with NCAA and uh, the, the, kind of the school kind of has to come up with a, a decision or a punishment, so to speak. And, you know, the, having the school decide that uh, to dismiss me uh, indefinitely uh, was, was kind of one of those situations where I didn't see it coming, you know, especially me understanding, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a bad guy. Never been in trouble with the law. So you know, I'm looking at this whole situation. Like I haven't hurt anyone. Uh, you know, I haven't done anything that egregious. Uh, but when it came to you know accepting impermissible funds and benefits, you would have thought you know, so you know, people were asking me where'd you hide the body. So it was kind of one of those situations where it was a lot more serious than we uh, had originally anticipated. And uh, you know, I, I take full accountability for my parts. And you know, I was I was a young dude. I had all these all the pressure coming from me from everywhere else. And you know, it, it, there was no excuse. Uh, for, for me accepting the things that I did. But, of course, uh, with the NCAA, it was, I do feel like it was, uh, you know, a little, a little bit of hypocrisy. And, you know, especially with me, myself, trying to, uh, attempting to meet with the NCAA to try to see if there was anything that I could, you know, do to resolve this matter or maybe even come back next year since I missed, you know, pretty much the whole, the whole 20, 2010 season. Uh, but, you know, at that point, they had pretty much decided that uh, I don't want to call myself the sacrificial lamb, but, of course, I was the only person dismissed from the team. And, and it hurt, you know, but it was one of those moments where I had to become a man very quickly because, you know, you really didn't have anybody on your side. Uh, the season's going on without you. Uh, of course, the team went on to have the best school, uh, season in school history uh, while I watched from the sidelines. So, you know, it was one of those kind of situations where I had to just kind of suck it up and move forward. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you were really – it seemed like you were used as a scapegoat. So, I guess you were – that was the reason you were dismissed from the team because of the Whitney Hotel situation fallout. It wasn't from anything else – unrelated or anything like that uh, well well you know it was you know my own issues with, with Cole Spurrier and maybe not being forth, forthcoming enough and uh you know it was <laughs> some things I honestly uh wish I could redo as, as a young kid but you know if I could tell young West uh any, any lessons from back then is just you know be accountable for everything that you do uh know that every everything that you do uh every action has a equal or opposite reaction and, uh, you know, it was, it was just one of those situations that should have never happened. And, you know, I was I should have been totally focused on my senior year. And, you know, I let other things get a hold of me, the glitz and glamour of, of maybe, you know, making it to the NFL. And, and I, I kind of got unfocused. I, I apologize to Coach Spurrier and, and the entire South Carolina fan base. But, you know, I was there rooting on the team uh, from the start of the season all the way to the end of Georgia Dome. So. It's just crazy, man. I mean, yeah, I just was going to say, I mean, it's really, again, you were really used the scapegoat, I feel like, because again, you were the only guy let go from, you know, that situation. Cause I know it involved, I believe Chris Culver, Gerald King was another one uh, names that I remember. And then, like you said, South Carolina goes on to win the sec East. I mean, you had to feel again, a little bit torn, right? I mean, just the feeling of those are your guys, obviously getting the, uh, the SEC East crown, you got to be happy for them. But at the same time, I mean, it's got to be pulling at your heartstrings and know that you, you should be on that sideline contributing. Heck, I mean, South Carolina may have had a better season with you, Sue. I mean, you have to think they would have had an even, even better season. I mean, you think maybe South Carolina wins that game at Auburn in 2010. Maybe they, you know, compete a little harder in the SEC championship. I mean, there are other games that you can think of that, um, you know, might have had different outcomes. Well, well from a from – a- Definitely from a logistical standpoint, I, you know, we, we understood uh, Auburn's defense. They, they ran a lot of zero blitz. So, you know, a, a tight end is great for uh, a team like that. And, of course, I saw many opportunities where Garcia, you know, would have been able to find me, especially that first game at Auburn uh, against this unknown guy named Cam Newton. I, I, I distinctly remember a lot of moments where I said, man, I could have. 
I could have made a play right there, you know, under pressure. Quarterback usually likes to find a guy closest to him, and that's usually the tight end. So, you know, it was one of those things where I had to, you know, I had to, I had to suck it up. Unfortunately, earlier in that in that 2010 season, as I'm dealing with the NCAA uh, issues and, and and the whole uh, suspension thing, you know, a, a former teammate of mine, Kenny McKinley, uh, committed suicide and and and, and passed away. So, you know, it was one of those moments where I was feeling sorry for myself and everything that I had going on. But, you know, immediately I had to put things in perspective and understand I just lost a brother. And, you know, there are people going through a lot more serious uh, issues out there in the world than what I was dealing with at the moment. Yeah, Wes, talk about your former teammate, you know, Kenny McKinley, obviously, rest in peace. We, we, I know we've had conversations off the air and through social media about where he ranks amongst South Carolina Gamecocks wide receivers and obviously is – is one of the best of all time. I mean, just just talk about it because I feel like Kenny held such a special place in people's hearts. Obviously, he had a smile that you couldn't miss. But uh, I guess, what do you remember most from playing and being around Kenny McKinley? Oh man, he was he was a guy. He took me under his wing as soon as I got to South Carolina, and uh, he was just an infectious kind of character, you know. And not only because of his work ethic, you know, I I, found, I didn't even know he came there as a as a quarterback. He could, he could just do everything, you know, and then, uh, of course, he was very confident, <laughs> very, very loud and outspoken, and, you know, I was kind of a quiet, reserved guy, and uh, he kind of brought out, you know, some some kind of beastly attitude from me on the field, and I appreciated that. I needed every bit of that, and I can distinctly remember, you know, going to LSU and then playing those guys, and him, you know, him being from there, having family from there, and, uh, you know, how the, important that game was for him. And, you know, the trash talking that was going on between him and, and the players on the other side, and it kind of got me hyped. And it got, you know, everybody else on the team hyped, and we were able to rally around him because it meant so much to him, and he was that kind of guy. Uh, so, you know, when I learned of his passing, you know, I was I was, I was devastated, of course, uh, dealing with everything that I was dealing with at the moment. And, and to hear that, of course, it, it was just devastating. For sure. So, Wes, again, going back to you were dismissed from the team in 2010, but obviously, I mean, you didn't just quit football, right? I mean, you obviously signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a free agent in 2011. You had those aspirations. And like you said, had you played in 2010, I think you're certainly a guy that, if not a first rounder, you're going to be taken in the first couple of rounds. Talk about just what you did during that year after the dismissal, because again, it felt, it felt almost kind of weird. I remember specifically when it happened, it felt weird just kind of feeling like, you know, this guy that's so talented, has all this football talent, has just sort of fallen off the map. I mean, what, what did you do from that time you got dismissed to getting signed as a free agent in 2011? Uh, well, I was still at, in school. I was still enrolled in South Carolina. So during the whole season, you know, every, after each win and after uh, the Alabama win, you know, I'm, I'm at school, I'm at class. And during that whole season, I was actually kind of hoping for an, uh, an overhaul of the NCAA ruling to dismiss me. You know, hopefully that, you know, there was like a slight slim chance that I could be brought back. And, you know, I was kind of waiting to hear word from them. I had gone up to Indianapolis to meet with them. So a lot of the effort was made uh, to get back on the field at some point during the season because that happened with a couple of buddies of mine from the University of North Carolina who was involved with the same situation. Uh, they were brought back. You know, in the middle, uh, it was kind of a crazy time going on. Um, but, you know, the, the main key was to stay ready, stay focused on the game, uh, not let any of the distractions uh, get to me. Obviously, the whole season went by. I wasn't able to play. Uh, they they decided that you know, I actually kind of wanted to come back for another year because, you know, that, that kind of would have counted as my redshirt year. But uh, Mr. Hyman and Mr. Pastides decided that uh, it would be better for me to just hit the road, you know. So you know, I had to respect it. Um, at the time, you know, I had, 
the, the bright side of things, I hadn't gotten hurt that season. I hadn't uh, injured myself. So, you know, I was still the same, you know, or if not better football player than I was the year before. So, uh, you know, we, we had signed a deal with Nike and I uh, immediately after the season, uh, headed down to Texas to start training at the Michael Johnson Performance Facility uh, in Dallas, uh, where I would get ready for the draft. For sure. So you signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers July 25th, 2011, West as an undrafted free agent. Again, I, I know you didn't get the call you wanted necessarily in the draft, but just talk about after everything you had been through at South Carolina and with the dismissals and the whole hotel whatever stuff with the NCAA, you know, what was the feeling like? I mean, it had to be such a satisfying feeling to finally put, you know, pen to paper and get your chance in the NFL. Oh, uh, well, you know, it was, it was bittersweet, uh, obviously, because we know the situation that I should have been in and the situation that I was in uh, were, were totally different. And at the time, you know, it was a blessing in disguise because down when I was in Texas training, I'd actually broken my foot uh, while training. And of course, the, the NFL lockout happened around the same time. So after I didn't get drafted, um, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't totally devastated because, you know, I couldn't have done anything afterwards anyway. My foot was broken, so I was able to get surgery. And the three months that was required for my surgery to heal was the exact three months that the lockout ended. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. So around that, that day on July 25th, uh, I had probably taken my walking boot off my foot maybe two or three days prior to that. So, you know, it was, it was one of those moments where, okay, I'm signing this paper right now, but hopefully, you know, this foot and surgery and everything goes it was it went according to plan, and that I'd be able to perform uh, and showcase what I could do. Because you know, I never really had any uh, thoughts about not making the team. Um, but at that point, we were kind of putting us in a position where you know I'm, I'm signing this contract on July 25th, but you know, training camp was only until like August 10th. So we only really had about 15 days to make the team. So you know, I was it was a lot more pressure going into that training camp. So I, there was there was no really relaxation state after signing that contract. And you surely did show what you could do. I mean, again, like you said, you made the 53-man roster. Um, you're the team, I believe you're the third-string tight end, but you actually caught your first-ever career touchdown in the NFL on November 27, 2011, um, against the Chiefs. J just talk about, again, not what you wanted, a little bit bittersweet like you talked about, but, I mean, there aren't many guys that have caught a touchdown pass in the NFL for a professional football team. Just talk about, again, everything you'd been through it culminates all to that moment. Talk about your feelings in that moment. Well, yeah, that, that was definitely one of the moments where, you know, there was a culmination. I was like, okay, everything that I was, I've been focused on is starting to come uh, come to a head here. You know, it was uh, pretty special being in Kansas City playing on Sunday night football. Uh, at the time, I was, you know, hanging around uh, Antonio Brown. We were, you know, I was with him every single day. And uh, the day before, we had actually gone – his, his family – uh, he had some family members that lived there, and I'd gone to do an autograph signing with Antonio and the night before, and it was real, it was a real special moment. And I, I do, I distinctly remember a couple fans uh, removing their items from my table because they didn't want me to sign them yet because you know they didn't know who I was. They did, I hadn't scored a touchdown. They said, you know, no offense, buddy, but you know we were looking for Antonio Brown, and I had to respect it. And um, you know that just kind of added fuel to the fire. Like, hey man, I need to do something where people know who I am. You know, I'm not just a guy on the team. Uh, you know, I'm a playmaker. And that next day, uh, that was, you know, scoring the only touchdown of the game, you know, it, it was pretty special and it turned out to be the winning touchdown. So, you know, it was one of those moments that, I, that I'll never forget and one of those moments that, you know, kind of let me know that my hard work was, uh, wasn't was for naught. 
For sure. And, you know, your, your only NFL touchdown. I want you to just look back, you know, Wes, because obviously just talking to you, you're a guy that's very humble. You can certainly tell you've learned a lot from different experiences. And I would imagine certainly those experiences in the NFL as well. You went through a couple of suspensions and a couple of stuff, just some stuff happened in the NFL. Just talk about when you look back now, I guess, how do you look back on your NFL career? And I guess, what would you tell your younger self if, if you could give them any advice? Well, you know, obviously, uh, some of the things that I've gone through, I wish I could have learned the lesson without actually going through uh, what I what what was going on. But you know, it was like I said, I, I never hurt anyone. You know, I never broken any laws. The NFL laws are very different than the real laws in in the real world. You know, that's one of the things that I kind of had to remind myself because, you know, after you you, you go through public ridicule and people you know, kind of see what's going on from the outside looking in. Uh, they make all types of judgments about you. You know, a lot of people will Google you before they actually talk to you. And, you know, what they see on Google is what they're used to judge you. So, you know, I kind of, that was one of the kind of things, even though I had gotten in trouble um, with, with the National Football League, it was one of the things where, you know, it was, it was a case of ignorance. Uh, it, it wasn't malicious intent. So, you know, me having to kind of remind myself that, hey, you're not a bad guy. You're not this guy that everyone's making you out to be. Uh, so you just have to keep continuing to be yourself. And, uh, you know, just kind of learn learn from your mistakes and don't let them happen again. So, of course, from those instances, I was able to learn about plant-based diets and learn about veganism and learn about the things that, that, are, that we're put into our bodies. And it, it was kind of, it was almost like an epiphany for me. I was able to find out things that I'd never know. Uh, find out, you know, that, you know, things in the NFL where, you know, having excess amounts of caffeine could uh, trigger a performance and have some drug uh, test fail so you know there's a lot of things that go into it and, and really it's all uh based around knowledge and you know i'm one of those kind of people i'm always seeking knowledge i always want to learn more uh so you know if i would tell west uh tell younger west anything it would just be you know know more about what's going on about around your around your life especially what you put what you're putting into your body uh you know that's that's kind of one of the main things um that we that we have to learn and one of the main things that i'm preaching right now uh as a free agent uh, to, to anyone I come across is, is taking care of your body, taking care of your metaphysical because everything is connected and how you feel is how you, is how you act and how you act and how you treat people is how you'll be received. So, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of one of the things that you know, I've learned. I'm 30 right now. And, you know, it feels like I've lived a whole life with all the, you know, kind of instances, uh, issues that I've dealt with, uh, but they didn't kill me. It made me stronger. You know, I'm able to talk about them now, uh, on the other end as, as the wise old man kind of, so it's a, it's a good feeling to be able to still be here, still be check, pursuing my football dream, uh, while not letting uh, the the mistakes of the past rail, derail derail me from what I'm trying to accomplish. Absolutely, and you know, just going back, I mean, again, you played with the Colts also from 2012, 2013. You were waived by them on December 2nd, 2014. But obviously, you know, again, a scenario where obviously your football career did not end, and you continue to train. I mean, anyone that follows you on Instagram, I know, you know, I do that. Uh, You've obviously you talked about the veganism and stuff. You've kept yourself in great shape. Obviously, you were signed with the Birmingham Iron of the AAF, um, which I know was something you know very welcoming for a lot of guys like yourself who were looking for another chance to get back to the NFL, looking for any path possible. And I know the AAF provided you know that opportunity. Obviously, there was some back and forth with the AAF with you being signed and waived and signed and waived, but and then the AAF obviously collapsing overall. But just talk about your experience, um, I guess, in the AAF with the Birmingham Iron. Oh, it was a great experience. You know, there was uh, some high caliber football going on there. You know, Coach Tim Lewis, heck of a guy. He put together a wonderful staff. I actually was able to uh, reconnect with my 
tight end coach for one year in South Carolina, Ray Richleski, who was the tight end coach there. So uh, it was a lot of football expertise. Steve Logan, the offensive coordinator, uh, we put together a heck of a team. And, you know, and, and more so, it was able, I was able to prove to myself that I still had what it takes, you know, that 30 wasn't this magic number where you all of a sudden stop becoming, you're not good at football anymore at that age, or, you know, you, your body shuts down. You know, I'm fortunate enough not to have any ailments or injuries. Um, I'm actually in better shape than I was when I was 22, 23. Like you said, you know, I was 275 pounds the last time I played in the NFL. I'm 255 now, a lot stronger, a lot, a lot more mobile, and uh, a lot more excited to show what I can do. You know, and obviously me seeing guys like Richie Incognito uh, getting re-signed and guys who have, who've had their own issues. You know, I, I do understand that the NFL offers second chance to those second chances to those who deserve them, or or if you know a guy, you know, so it's all about connections. So right now, I know that one or two phone calls and I could be right back in someone's training camp taking taking a job. So it's all about staying ready. Uh, the AAF is an opportunity for a lot of guys to get ready. A lot of guys have signed to this game. And, uh, you know, it's all about you know, not quitting, not giving up, you know. No doubt. Wes, something that uh, anyone that follows you on social media, especially Twitter, has definitely seen is the hashtag why not Wes, which I know a lot of people engage with. And yourself, obviously, you put out there to these different NFL teams, just hashtag why not Wes, which is basically a, you know, just something to say, hey, why not Wes Saunders? Why not sign, you know, you obviously give you an opportunity to play tight end for teams. There are different teams in the NFL that need tight ends. I mean, it, it, let's just play a little game. Let's say I'm an NFL GM. Give me your best, I guess, pitch, if you will for hashtag why not Wes? I mean, what, why not Wes Saunders? Hey, why not Wes? You know, it's, it's kind of one of those uh, slogans that uh, fans came up with on Twitter and, and it kind of stuck because, you know, everybody uh, to, to, a, to a GM who's looking for um, a tight end, a staple in the offense, which is one of, one of the most important positions on the field. If you're looking for six foot six, 255 pound, tight end who can block in line, run down the field and catch the ball and create mismatch problems for defenders. I'm the guy, not only on the field, but off the field. I'm, you know, I'm a wise, wise old out, as they would say. So, you know, I kind of know uh, the ins and outs of the game as far as uh, what it takes to be a professional. And that means how you prepare your body, uh, how you talk, how you approach people, um, how you treat people, you know, whether it be the janitor or the GM. Uh, so that, those are the most important things uh, before anything happens on the field. What kind of person is he? You know, unfortunately, uh, that's kind of what I'm dealing with uh, at the moment or the past couple of years. A lot of the uh, teams and GMs are making decisions based off of who they think I am and not who I really am. So, you know, I uh, was kind of – that's why I kind of set the campaign, Why Not West? You know, I was very uh, motivated to go out there and kind of uh, show people face-to-face, -face, you know, look, look, look those uh, – people in the eye who maybe have had doubts about me and just and to tell them and show them that I'm not the person that they may think I am and that my uh, reputation does not precede me. Uh, so, you know, the why not West came out, came about, we kind of uh, mixed around a, a few other phrases when with West, because, you know, I do a lot of speaking at schools and um, to a lot of the youth. So, you know, I want, I want them to, to understand it's all about, it's about winning too, winning at life because, you know, I've, I've been through enough situations, not just football that I've had to kind of make it through. And, uh, you know, I think this has kind of pulled, pulled it all together right now. I'm kind of this, this perfect storm of uh, education and knowledge. And, and, and obviously, I still have my physical attributes, which I'm going to use until I don't have them anymore. So, you know, why not, Wes? Why not now? And why not me? You know? That's awesome. So, Wes, let's go back to your South Carolina career really quickly. When you look back, if you had to pick one, your favorite memory as a Gamecock? 
Ah, my favorite memory. I I, I think I, I'll have to say that that Clemson game uh, might take the cake. You know, having having my family down there for the game and, and scoring two touchdowns. I just uh, that past off season, I I uh, crossed into a fraternity, Cap Alpha Psi fraternity. So I had a, all these new fraternity brothers there cheering me on, and you know, I, I, it, was, it was just a, a electric moment in Columbia. And I can you know, I just remember that that whole day just felt like a dream. And, you know, like I said, looking back on it, uh, I didn't know then it would be my last uh, game at University of South Carolina, but that, those are one of those kind of moments that make it all worth it. For sure. So, Wes, before I let you go, I have one last question for you, and I'm going to give you the option to pick which one you want to answer of the two. I'd love if you answered both of them, but I'm going to give you the option. Either your funniest or best Steve Spurrier story, because I could hear a little bit earlier, you can do a pretty decent impression of the old ball coach, or your your best story that you can tell of you and Steven Garcia out in five points, because I know as good a bunch were with him, there had to be some good times, some uh, some good times I can imagine maybe at Village Idiot or some other places. I'll give you the option of the two, although I'd love to hear both, but uh, either one of those. Well, everyone's got a Steven Garcia five-point story. You know, he's, he, I, I assumed he was part owner of a few of those bars at one point, so that was just kind of, you know. <laughs> but as far as uh, Coach Spurrier, man, he's had so many funny moments. Uh, I just, it's it's hard to pinpoint one, but that that voice, uh, it, it, that voice alone is funny. You know, he, I think the funniest things Coach Spurrier does is, is uh, whatever your name may be, if you tell him your name. If he decides your name is something else in his head, that's what he'll call you. You know, so yeah, you know, I, I distinctly remember like Dion LeCorn. He would call, all right now, Lee Corn. All right, Dion. Yeah, all right. You ready to go now, Lee Corn? So he, he'll put a different emphasis on a different syllable in your name. All right, all right now, Wesley. All right, Wesley. So you know, it was just one of those kind of things where his voice, it was just he was. I don't even think he was trying to be funny, but I was just how he stated things was just hilarious to us. I've heard from your former teammate Mo Brown. He's talked about that he was pretty brutal on his on his receivers in the uh, in the film room. Was there ever a time in the film room where he pointed out something and got on you for it pretty good, or no? Uh, you know, not me personally. Once I kind of once I got to to Carolina and I realized how uh, vital film was, and that okay, everything that I do at practice. It's going to be dissected the next day. Then I was kind of cognizant of what I was doing. So, luckily, I never got the uh, the brunt of the wrath of Coach Spurrier on those days. But, you know, I def- there were some guys who, you know, <laughs> he kind of let have it a few times. And, uh, if you think he was tough on those receivers, man, he let the quarterbacks have it. No doubt. Well, Wes, really do appreciate you taking the time. Again, if you haven't done so, go tweet hashtag why not Wes, especially if your favorite NFL team, you're listening to this, they need a tight end. I can think of a few specifically. I'm, I was living up in Charlotte West and, you know, Greg Olson's a really good one, but he's not going to play forever. So they need somebody else. So we'll, we'll definitely obviously continue to support, you know, hopefully, you know, we'd love to see you back in the NFL, if nothing else. Um, I'll ask you, do you have any plans? You know, if I know the NFL is the ultimate goal, but I know the, the AAF is closed up, but the XFL is coming up. I mean, are there any plans for you to play in any different leagues if, you know, the NFL doesn't work by the start of this season? Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not opposed to it. But, yeah, Carolina is uh, one of those places where we're trying to get to. You know, I've uh, I got deep ties in that area, not just right, right smack dab in the middle where I'm from, Durham and, and Columbia, South Carolina, right there in Charlotte. So I'd love to end up back there. But I'm not opposed to playing in the XFL. You know, I still have a, a lot of ability. And, of course, if I need to go to the XFL to prove what the NFL is missing out on, then I, I'll do that. 
Absolutely. Well, Wes, I'll definitely be following along. I know Gamecock fans will as well, and uh, certainly hoping you're getting the opportunity. But, yeah, man, really appreciate you taking the time. Would love to get you back on when you, uh, when you make your NFL debut once again, man. I, I really do appreciate it, and let's do it again soon sometime. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, man. I'll talk to you later. Perfect. So, for Wes Saunders, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.